your nutrient intake and your fitness are more powerful risk factors for heart disease than your cholesterol level. Dr. Stephen Masley. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. Welcome back to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Revolution. Today, we're talking about heart disease, the number one killer of women at midlife and beyond. So this is definitely something you want to listen to and take action on, because I know everybody worries about hormones and cancer, but really it's heart disease that you should be most concerned about at midlife. Not to mention that if you take the steps Dr. Masley is talking to you about, you will actually reduce your risk for hormone imbalance and cancers. So we'll tell you a little bit about Dr. Steve, and then we'll get started. Stephen Masley, MD, is a physician, nutritionist, trained chef, and creator of a top PBS health program, 30 Days to a Younger Heart. His latest best-selling book, The 30-Day Heart Tune-Up, gives you a plan to prevent and reverse heart disease. Seen by millions on PBS, The Discovery Channel, The Today Show, and others, Dr. Masley has the right recipe for you to prevent or reverse heart disease while having fun and eating delicious food. Welcome, Dr. Steve. I'm delighted to be with you. So excited to have you on. You were in the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit, and we got such incredible feedback from women about all that you shared about heart disease, preventing it, reversing it, and reversing a lot of those myths that women believe about heart disease. And I thought, why should only the women on the summit have access to this? So I wanted to have you on the podcast. And so soon super excited to dive into this topic. I'm really glad to be here and get to talk with you again. I think it's great. I had a little quote in the teaser where I talked about the quote that you say, your nutrient intake and your fitness are more powerful risk factors for heart disease than your cholesterol level. And I think that's news to a lot of women. So can you Mm -hmm. talk about that? So in my clinic over the last 15 years, we've been measuring artery plaque. And with all these other factors, your cholesterol, your advanced lipid profile, your blood sugar, your blood pressure, your inflammation levels, your nutrient intake, your fitness level, and the most important predictors of whether you're growing plaque in your arteries or not, nutrients are way up there. Fitness is super important. I mean, those are really powerful predictors of whether you get heart disease or not. Even blood sugar and blood pressure are pretty good. But cholesterol was kind of, you know, it's not unimportant, but it's kind of a weak predictor of heart disease. And yes, your nutrient intake and your fitness are far more important if you want to prevent heart disease, or especially if you have heart disease and you want to reverse it. So where did we get this idea that cholesterol is the end all and be all, and we need to be over concerned with our cholesterol and check it all the time and medicate it. Where does this come from, this obsession with cholesterol? I, I think the obsession started with when we had a drug we could give someone that had 
a whole bunch of side effects, but nothing deadly, you know, didn't kill anybody, mm -hmm. caused a lot of side effects, and you could reduce 30% of heart disease in men, not necessarily women, if they took this pill. What they don't say is, if you only treat your cholesterol with this pill, 70% of people still die of heart disease if you take the pill perfectly. You know, we, they don't mention that. Mm -hmm. They don't mention that, oh, there might be many other ways to do this. But I think it's perfect for the healthcare industry. Here's a test that you can charge a lab test for, charge them for a prescription, and do lab testing to see how it comes out. And then they have to follow up and see the doctor. I mean, it meets the, the healthcare paradigm that we live in, that you treat a disease and you monitor it. And nobody, you're never dealing with the root cause, though. Right. Right? Yeah, so it, it fits the uh, medical orthodoxy of how our system's set up. And, you know, we're good students, so we want to be good patients yes. and we follow it. So I think that we've become obsessed with our cholesterol, but really it's about so much more than that. Yes. So that that's, I think, that's the perfect message. I'm glad the way you said it. So it's not that cholesterol is not important, but it's that so many other things are more important and make a bigger factor. And I think it really, especially for women, where for women, lifestyle factors are much more important than cholesterol drugs ever could possibly be. Okay, so lifestyle factors in women, we're talking mostly here to women at midlife, 40 to 60 and beyond, some younger, but mostly in that age range. So a woman's on here and she knows that heart disease is the number one killer of women at midlife and beyond. And she's thinking, you know, my mother had heart disease and I hear you, Dr. Steve, it's not about cholesterol. What steps can she take to start reversing her risk? Okay, so I think the biggest cause is elevated blood sugar levels. And that has to do with what we eat. So number one is the right food and it's giving up sugar and grain flour because grain flour and sugar are really the same thing. So getting rid of grain flour, getting rid of sugar, eating more fiber from vegetable, fruit, beans, and nuts. I mean, that's really the theme. Number two to me would be nutrients that meet their key. New and there's, so there's really some specific nutrients that are super important for your heart. Three is fitness. I mean, if we did those three things, your cholesterol probably wouldn't matter very much at all. That, you know, if we got the sugar down, we ate the right food, we met our nutrient needs, we got active, we would get rid of 90% of heart disease. It'd be a rare event instead of the most common killer for men and women. So I know my audience gets so tired of me harping on the sugar issue. But you can't talk about it enough because this really is the problem. And I talk to so many women, Steve, you probably do too, mm -hmm. who say, oh, I say, well, what's your diet? They say, oh, I eat healthy. And I say, great, what are you eating? What do you eat for breakfast? And they say, oh, I have a smoothie. That's healthy. And I say, okay, what do you put in your smoothie? <laughs> and so I really help them see that they're getting a lot of sugar, even though they think they're eating yes. healthy. Can you talk to that? Like what's a healthy smoothie well, that's low in sugar? And There's so many forms of sugar. You know, it's not just table sugar. It's mm -hmm. of course, corn syrup and it's fructose and it's agave and it's flour. Any grain that's ground up into any grain that's ground into flours acts exactly like sugar. 
It's all these, and then sweeteners are just as bad as the sugar themselves. You know, the, the chemical ones like the NutraSweet, the Aspart, you know, mm-hmm. Aspartame, the Saccharin, the Splenda, all of those killed the gut microbiome. And now we realize the gut microbiome is another very important risk factor for heart disease. It's so important. I had to rewrite this 30-day heart tune-up book that just recently came out. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to the sugar and the nutrients, the gut's a very important risk factor for heart disease. So all of those things work together in a web-like fashion and make a big difference. So with the sugar, I also talk to people who say, I only eat natural turbinado or I only have agave or, and I, I hate to I cringe when you say agave, you know that, right? We all cringe. So can you explain to them about this, that it it really isn't different? Well, agave is a, is fructose. It's a sugar Mm -hmm. that isn't the typical glucose sucrose sugar that you get in table sugar it's pure fructose it goes to your liver and gives you fatty liver major inflammation your triglyceride levels shoot up you basically turn your liver into pate when you use agave and the livers do it detoxifies all the poisons in your body so you're disabling your liver you're making all these triglycerides i think i don't know it's Table sugar or agave, they're both toxins to me. I never want anyone to use agave. So, yeah, I I realized when you said that, I cringed. And their listeners are probably thinking, well, why was he, you know, well, that's why, because it's terrible stuff. Yes, and sugar is sugar. And then in the smoothies, I'll I'll say, well, what do you put in your smoothie? And they say, well, I put a banana and I put a cup of berries and I put coconut water. And I'm like... Uh, yeah, you probably have as, as much sugar as a soda in there. <laughs> well, the coconut water is mostly sugar. I mean, right. I'm okay with the berries. You know, if someone's just going to do like almond milk and berries and some protein powder, I'm actually good with that. The problem is the banana is like the highest glucose load of it, you know. Right. Of any of the sugars, the coconut water is mostly fruit juice is, as you know, you might as well drink a soda. I mean, so there's so many ways to go wrong, but almond milk is fruit, like a cherry or berry and, you know, a half cup portion and some Mm -hmm. protein powder. I'm that's in throw in some greens, get some other source of fiber in there. And greens are really good for us. And you heart, you know, if you're using cherry or blueberry in your smoothie you hardly i'm actually shifting more though away from smoothies and skipping breakfast for me that's a pretty common theme that i'm doing some partial intermittent fasting and trying not to eat in the morning at least several days a week so from like 9 p.m to noon the next day i'm trying not to eat at all and so talk about that a little because that is all the rage that the intermittent fasting and what made you make that change Well, one, I felt better, you know, so for me, it was like I was doing a smoothie protein shake breakfast, probably 90% of the time. That was my standard shake before I went to the gym and worked out to start my day. Uh And I just, you know, there's been all these debates and I was reading about ketosis and you get some of the benefits of ketosis without the harms of ketosis. You can still follow a Mediterranean eating plan, which mm-hmm. to me is like one of the healthier diets on the planet, and skip breakfast. And typically, there's not much, you know, 
eggs, you know, I think scrambled eggs or an omelet with veggies and some olive oil. Well, that's a fine breakfast. You know, that's to me the example of a healthy breakfast. If they're really, some people might be egg intolerant. They have a sensitivity. I'm always a big advocate. If there's a food you're sensitive to, whether it's gluten, dairy, egg, whatever, you should avoid it. So if you're sensitive to eggs, avoid them. But if you're not, Eggs, you know, cage-free, organically fed eggs are a pretty healthy breakfast when you combine it with veggies and like an omelet and cook it with some olive oil at low heat. I mean, that's actually, to me, a decent breakfast, but I actually like the idea of partial intermittent fasting more because I think it helps people's blood sugar level to stop. We don't need to eat 24-7 all the time. Having a fasting period, I think, can help insulin sensitivity, get us out of this toxic, elevated blood sugar state. And for some people, I think it can be very useful and helpful. And so you said it avoids some of the pitfalls of keto. So what would those be? Because I know everybody listening is wanting to know. One of the challenges with keto, it's hard to meet your nutrient needs. Some of my dear friends who are on keto, like they have multiple sclerosis and it's really helped them. It's a challenge for them to just stick with not eating any carbs. And those nutrient needs, many of the nutrients we get from beans, from fruits and vegetables. You, It's not that you can't do it, it's just challenging. So I think many of the benefits with partial intermittent fasting are as good as what you get from keto. And it's a lot, lot easier to do. And you, it's very easy to meet your nutrient needs on a Mediterranean diet if you just skip breakfast. Okay, got it. And I will ask you this, though. I see a lot of women at midlife who are doing the intermittent fasting. They're exercising and their energy is tanked and they still can't lose that last 15 or 20 pounds, no matter how long they keep doing this. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. I have my own, but I want to see what your thoughts are. You know, are they working out and fit? That's clearly an important factor here. You know, I think of it, you know, as I always think in terms of, are you eating the right food? Are you meeting your nutrients? Are you fit enough? Are you managing your stress? Are you avoiding toxins? You know, do they drink too much alcohol? Do they get too much mercury? I mean, those are the top five things that come to mind when someone says, I'm doing this right, but I'm still tired and worn out. And I try to just go through, to me, I go through those pillars and try to identify which of those pillars may they not be reaching. And that's really for your heart. Those are the five things I focus on, whether it's your brain or your heart. Eat the right food, meet your nutrient needs, be fit, manage your stress, avoid toxins. If we do those things, most problems just seem to disappear. Yes, easier said than done. And I do find for a lot of these women, it has to do with stress because they're doing way too much. So talk to everyone about, I know cooking is one of your passions and it's probably part of your stress management, I would imagine. But how do... You know, we women, we just can't say no. We can't stop, especially at midlife. It's challenging, right? (laughs) Right. You know, super mom, super spouse, professional. I mean, it's hard to do everything. You do have to learn to say no. I mean, that's really true. But I also think we need to proactively manage it. We do need to choose to get a good night's sleep. We need to work off to burn out some tension. And we proactively need to like meditate or do heart math or something for about 10 minutes a day to help lower those cortisol levels. So 
To me, yeah. that's the theme for stress management is proactively doing if I think just those three things are huge. Sleep, mm -hmm. a workout, and some meditation heart math time. Mm-hmm. Every day. I agree. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. But doing them, it's not always so easy, especially for women, because I think women seem to come in their families, they come last oftentimes. You know, their kids come first or they're they're helping their parents and they're helping their spouse and it's endless. I mean, guys have the same thing. It's not like the men aren't also dealing with it, but I think the demands for women are just plain higher. Well, yeah, and I think that we're taught, we're socialized when we're younger to be ple people pleasers, basically, and to take care of people. And so yes. this is the burnout. It's harder to say no. Yeah, it is harder, but that's something that I teach women is that you have to learn how to say no. And, you know, <laughs> I love this thing I heard Marie Forleo say where she challenges women to change their automatic response to any request to no, and then they can always go back and change it later. But because if oh. you have to stop and think in the moment, oh, is it yes, is it no, what do I really want to do? It's too hard. It's too confrontational. So she challenges women to say, always just say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not available for that. And then you can always come back. And then, you know, if you're not managing your stress, you're tired, you're worn out. And then you're not going to make, when you're tired, you don't make good choices. We don't eat as well. We probably skip a workout. We don't, ironically, that's when we don't choose to meditate or do something to help our stress and do something soothing and calm. It's so true. So hopefully you hear Dr. Steve, what he's talking about with the stress. You have another reason to say no and dial it back. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Hey there, it's Dr. Kieran. I'm just wondering how long you're gonna go with those unbalanced hormones. I mean, you told me during the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit that you couldn't take it anymore. So where have you been? Since the summit, Deb M has already balanced her hormones, gotten to her goal weight, and is looking forward to wearing her bathing suit on the beach this summer. And Carrie, who hadn't been able to lose even five pounds in the past 10 years, has now lost an amazing 15 pounds and is feeling and looking great. Not to mention, she's sleeping better and her mood has improved. Aaron, Ashley, Debsey, and so many more are already enjoying the benefits of having balanced hormones. And I'm wondering if you could use some help finding out your personal hormone levels and knowing exactly what to do to balance your hormones so that you can lose weight, regain energy, balance your moods, feel sexy and confident, look great and master midlife or whatever you want to do. Know that all health begins with balanced hormones. Everything you want in life begins here and nothing good ever comes from tolerating hormone imbalances. We're launching the Hormone Balance Mastermind again this July, so don't wait. Space is limited, and it will be months before we run this program again. Go to www.midlifemetabolisminstitute.com to apply for the program or get on the early bird wait list so that as soon as registration opens, you can can be the first to apply and secure your spot. If you've had enough and you want to find out how good life can be once your hormones are balanced, I know I'll see you there. 
talk to you soon. And we're back. So we're talking to women who are in perimenopause, menopause. How do these hormonal changes impact your heart disease risk? When you go through, when a woman goes through menopause, almost all her risk factors for heart disease go up. Her cholesterol profile gets worse, not just the number, but the size of the particles actually shrink some. They tend to be more inflamed. Blood sugar levels go up. When you go through menopause, you actually have to exercise more to get the same benefit. I mean, you know, in ancient times when women were no longer rearing kids, they probably walked further from home and they did get more exercise. So we might be genetically primed to need more activity when we get past childbearing age, because that's what I think we naturally tended to do. And that just helped with survival. So more activity, you have to eat better. All these things are more important because yeah, of all the risk factors for heart disease, um, there's the weight gain, there's the blood sugar goes up, the cholesterol gets worse. You know, all these things happen at menopause. So, you know, I think it can be a healthy part of life, but you have to take steps to manage it. So menopause is a healthy aspect that can be enjoyed. I talk to women every day, Dr. Steve, who are at midlife and they're terrified of breast cancer. They are terrified of getting dementia and they want to know what do I need to do to not have these things happen or other cancers. Almost never does a woman come to me and say, Dr. Kieran, I know that heart disease is the number one killer of women at advanced ages or above midlife. How do I prevent that? Never. They're not interested. Well, Kieran, that's really an insightful question because Alzheimer's is the scariest disease. That's what we worry about the most. And people definitely worry about cancer. And breast cancer, I think, is the scariest of the cancers. And heart disease, you're right. People don't worry about it. And this is one of the things I've learned over time is that people oftentimes aren't going to take steps till something bad happens. And with heart disease, the first sign is oftentimes a heart attack and then you're in heart failure, a stroke and you're disabled or you're dead. That's the first symptom. And they don't realize it. People, it's really easy to think heart disease won't happen to me. You know, I think part of it is that cholesterol thing that we think if your cholesterol is not high, you're fine. But most people who have a heart attack have normal cholesterol levels. So people don't really realize, especially women, I don't think they realize that it's the number one killer. It's six times more likely than breast cancer. And it sneaks up on you. It really does. I think the advantage of trying to prevent heart disease is how much better you feel. Because when you take steps to prevent heart disease, what you're really doing is improving your circulation. And if you improve your circulation, you lose weight, you have more energy, your brain functions better, you're full of vitality. So I think it is a challenge to get people to take heart disease seriously because it's not number one on our on our radar, even though it's the most likely thing to kill us. It's totally ironic, and it's a really good question you're asking. But I think your answer is very telling because we are lulled into complacency because we believe that it's all about cholesterol. Mm. And so when our doctor tells us our cholesterol is, quote-unquote, good, Or even okay. Think- or okay, we think we don't 
that doesn't apply to us. I'm fine. And so what I'm hearing you say, and I'm getting this huge aha right now that I want to, I hope everybody listening is getting is what Dr. Steve is saying is not about cholesterol. So you're fooling yourself. If you hear that your cholesterol is okay from your doctor and you're like, I checked that box. I'm not at risk. I don't need to worry about it. You are dead wrong. And literally yes. it could be dead wrong. Dead wrong or stroke wrong. <laughs> stroke or heart wrong. attack and heart failure, disabled wrong. You know, I always even used to say heart disease, okay, that's scary. But to me, I've seen people with strokes. My ex-mother-in-law, yeah. who's now deceased, had a stroke. And that to me is far scarier. So I'd rather that, die than have a bad stroke. Exactly. Clearly. All right. We have we have hounded that. Let's talk about, I know that you talk about the gut microbiome and probiotics and how that's related to heart disease. And I know some women listening are going like, what, Dr. Kieran, how does my gut have anything to do with my heart? Can you help them understand that? Well, this is really new. This is fascinating. I mean, so 10 years ago, we thought your gut impacted your GI symptoms and that was about it, right? And then Somewhere around five to 10 years ago, there was this brain-gut connection and it came through when we started realizing that brain diseases, autism, that ADHD, many things were related to gut problems. And then anxiety and depression were related to your gut. And then came the weight connection that if you have the wrong gut microbes, you gain weight. They, they cause cravings, they lower your metabolism, they make you inflamed, they stimulate appetite. So then we realized, wait, but now we know it impacts your blood sugar and your blood pressure and your cholesterol. And if you're eating the wrong food and growing the wrong microbes, you make a compound called TMAO, trimethylamine oxide. That increases your risk by 60% for a heart attack, stroke, or death. Dramatic. So the gut turns out is a major, just like blood sugar, your gut is a major risk factor for heart disease. And many people probably have dysbiosis. They have the wrong microbes. They've got leaky gut. They have gut symptoms. They have trouble losing weight. Their energy's off. They don't realize they're at high risk for heart disease because of that. That's such important information. And I know everyone thinking is thinking now, can my doctor check my TMAO? Is that something that they can get at their doctors? There is, but I mean, if you're actually eating the right foods for your gut, like if you're following a Mediterranean diet, you don't have elevated TMAO levels. You don't even need to measure it. So mm -hmm. I would really focus on eating more vegetable, fruit, beans, and nuts, seafood, drink a little red wine. If you drink, use alcohol or skip it, you know, that using olive oil and spice, Mediterranean spices and herbs. And if you do those things right, you probably don't, don't even need to worry about, you know, so that's the goal is treat your gut well, which is good for your heart, it's good for your blood sugar, it's good for your blood pressure, it helps your waistline and you feel better. All those things are gonna come in, you know, roll out and be in an optimal state and you'll have brilliant health. Mm -hmm. I like that you said that because we can be so obsessed with testing. I find that women are somewhat semi-obsessed. Maybe men are too, but I don't work with men, so I don't know. We're obsessed with numbers and we want information. Yes. I tell women all the time, you know, put your time, energy, and money into solutions, eating yes. the right food, having Thank organic you. food, <laughs> and don't worry about the test like you just said. So thank you for saying that. And I yeah. know- 
You mentioned, you know, sugar, grain, flour, those are some of the foods that can cause, contribute to heart disease and sugar number one. But you also talk about five new categories of food that will help prevent and reverse heart disease. What are those? One is fiber, vegetable, fruit, beans, and nuts, not fiber from whole grains that raise your blood sugar. So that would be number one, those plant pigments and fiber that feed your gut microbiome. Two would be healthy fats, definitely not a low-fat diet. We want extra virgin olive oil and avocado oil and avocados and wild seafood that, you know, fatty fish like salmon and sardines and oysters and things like that. We want dark chocolate. We want those healthy fats. Three really, I think, is going to be clean protein. We don't want protein that comes from the feedlot that's loaded with hormones and pesticides and herbicides and hormones. We don't want that. So clean protein. And then beneficial beverages, water, tea, coffee, tea and coffee in moderation, red wine in moderation, but more water. You know, like in Europe, you get a bottle of water and a glass of red wine, not the other way around. And, you know, it's <laughs> avoiding sugar. It's avoiding sugar when the fluid we would dr drinking sugar is far worse than eating sugar because it provides no satiety. So you're just going to keep eating endlessly and be more hungry every time you drink sugar in fluid. And then lastly are those probiotics, the stuff to feed your gut. So we need fiber, but we need probiotics to put healthy organisms in our gut. If you're dairy tolerant, I would say have yogurt, non, you know, plain, unsweetened yogurt, kefir. If you're not dairy tolerant, then there's lots of other probiotic sources, you know, from miso to kombucha to, you know, sauerkraut. So easy in this day and age to get a good probiotic, a few servings of a probiotic source every day. So those are the foods that I think are just essential for health, especially for heart health. I know, Dr. Steve, you're a nutritionist, you are a chef, you love to cook, you're in your kitchen, and you just talked about some kind of fermented foods. Talk to us about some of your favorite recipes. I know you've got a Mediterranean Method kitchen and pantry guide that's you're going to offer to everyone. We're going to have the yes. link in the show notes. But talk a little bit about, you know, the foods you love cooking that are healthy and help prevent heart disease and just your passion for that. So I like basic, easy to prepare food. You know, I, I have to admit there was a time and 20 years ago I got involved in elaborate recipes. And I think one of the things I've learned from studying the Mediterranean diet is it's simple, easy, the healthiest diet on the planet, but it's that's the key. It's easy to follow. It's not elaborate. It's a good, local, fresh ingredients cooked with olive oil, not at high heat, spices and herbs, um, garlic, basil, rosemary, thyme. You know, these are just wonderful spices that we make food taste fantastic. You know, so simple things that are delicious. You're, you can find them in your local grocery store. Your family loves them. That's what the recipes are about for me. I spent three summers, almost 18 months in Europe, sailing around, looking for local recipes, writing some of these books. And that's what this gift is about, showing people how easy it can be to get started, to get your kitchen ready so you can serve Mediterranean meals that are just delightful. 
Okay, awesome. So everyone should definitely go download that. You know, I have to share this with you. Many years ago, gosh, it must have been 20 years ago, I went with my mom and my son to France on a tour with, I think it's his name is Dr. Walter Willette, who wrote the French Connection about how they eat, have this high-fat diet. Oh, the French paradox. They have low rates yes. of heart disease. Yes, exactly. And I thought if I get any more cheese, bread, or liver, duck liver pate, I'm going to explode. But how is this possible? The key is they eat lots of fruits and vegetables, triple what we eat in America. So they have a lot of those. And when they do eat fat like cheese, it's a little portion. They have very good portion control when they're eating fats like cheese or pate. You know, we're not so good at portion control. But, you know, they drink red wine. That's their main source of alcohol. It has a heart benefit instead of hard liquor or beer. You know, it's much better for you. They walk more. They're more active. And I like how you said they're, I mean, they eat in leisure, wonderful meals. It's not rushed. They don't snack all day long. They sit with friends and family and eat leisurely meals, and that really helps manage their stress. They do so many things right that I think that's really, even though they smoke more than we do, they're doing so many things right. That's the French paradox. They've got it right, and they love the food they eat. Yeah, I remember we would have dinner at like eight or nine at night and it was just, you know, it was the whole day was leisurely there, but it was just a very different diet. And I found myself thinking, how do they have low heart disease? But I realized that it's it's about so much more than what you eat. And I think you have really highlighted that for us today. Yes, the diet is important but cholesterol, not so much, but it's all the other nutrients, your stress level, your gut microbiome, all of these other things. So thank you so much for that. I think it's so important. I think one of the challenges, many people are waiting for something bad to happen, as I said before, but I don't think people realize, I think one of the quotes I hear from my patients is they forgot how great they could feel that they can slowly dwindling and they've got used to this low energy state that they're currently in. And until they actually take care of themselves for like three to four weeks, they're like, wow, I forgot how good I could feel. My, I sleep better, my sex life is better, my energy's better, I'm thinking clearly, you know, wow, they forgot how great they can feel if they take the right steps. So that's really my key take-home message. Don't wait for something bad to happen. Take steps today so you learn to feel fantastic and you have a brilliant life. Yes, I love that. Don't wait for something bad to happen. Take action. Well, it's really how to set up your, how to make this easy. How do you set up your kitchen? What are the essential tools? And what are the foods you need to have on hand so that you can just pound out recipes and your family's going to be like, wow, you made that so easily. And be like, yeah, I did. I'm prepared. My pantry's ready. My, I got my kitchen tools. I'm all set. I know what to do. Make it easy to create delicious food that's good for you and the whole family. I'm all for that, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Steve. This is great, vital, important information about the number one killer of women. So we can't hear enough about this. Thank you for this very unique and powerful perspective that you offer. It's always a pleasure to get to talk with you. 
Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, post it on your social media and tag me, I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic, it's science.